ago, last time I was up here, and I was talking about that I was about ready to leave for a backpacking trip on the Appalachian Trail, and I'm happy to report that that, uh, that, that hike uh, went well. Uh, it was hard, but it went uh, better than last year. Backpacking the Great Smoky Mountains is interesting because uh, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park has the greatest concentration of bears per square mile of any place in the United States. You can't hunt them there. You can hunt them all the way around and hunting in North Carolina and Tennessee and all. That's a big thing. And they aren't dumb. They go, let's see, I can get shot here. I can't get shot here. I think I'll hang out here. And so they do. So there is a great uh, population of black bears in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Because of that, they make you stay in these shelters. And the way they enforce that is you have to have a permit to go backpacking and in the park, and to get a permit, you have to have reservations at the shelters, and a shelter only holds 12 people, so you have to have a reservation to get in there. Now, shelter mm, makes you think of something different than what they are. There's space about five to seven miles, and really what it is is a lean-to with a wall in the back, and then a third of the way up, there's a wall, and the rest is open, and there's there's benches and, and different things there to sit on, not like a lot of them. And then in the back, there's two platforms, and that's what you sleep on. And they're designed to hold the exact number for which the shelter has capacity. Most of the shelters hold 12, so each platform holds six people. Now, the bottom platform is, is such that the upper platform is about right here. So if you're one of those people that wakes up in the morning by sitting up, you're not going to have a good day. Also, these platforms, uh, well, you get the feel. You're laying in bed. Here's your best friend stranger right here. Your best friend stranger right here. When they roll over, you know it in the middle of the night. It's kind of a cozy experience with people you've never met before. Now, the reasoning for all this is they, they believe if they concentrate the humans, the humans have a better shot of defending themselves against the bears. So they put in, you in these open shelters. The bear can come in the shelter. There's no problem. There's many stories of bears coming into shelters. But if they put you in there, the group together can fend off the bear. That, at least that's the thinking. Uh, the shelter we stayed in the second night, Open two weeks prior because it had been closed for a month and a half because of aggressive bear activity in the shelter. <laughs> That's comforting. Now, I got to be honest, I didn't see any bears. I did get to sleep or try to sleep really close to two really noisy strangers uh, who snored a lot, but I, I didn't see any bears. But that's enough of the AT. Let's get to our passage. We are in Isaiah 29. That's page 589 in the Blue Bibles. And it starts off verse 1. Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their course. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be mourning and lamentation. And she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around. And I will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. And you will be brought low from the earth. You shall speak from the dust. Your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. And from the dust, your speech 
shall whisper. It starts off, O Ariel, Ariel. Ariel is referring to Jerusalem. Now, there's no scholarly agreement as to what the literal meaning of the word Ariel is, though the most popular is, is altar or hearth, a, a place of worship. And Jerusalem saw itself as the center of that because it had the temple. The temple is where all worship and the sacrifices and all that took place. And that was in the middle of, of uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem saw itself as a special place because of that and took great pride in it. They were the place that you went to worship God. The only problem is the worship, well, didn't please God. Oh, they observed all the proper festivals and the days and did that, and they, they generally did the sacrifices. Oh, they didn't do them quite right, and they brought the animals that weren't the best like they were supposed to. But generally, they, they did it. And then... And then there was this thing about wanting God. You see, we always have to remember God's law, the Mosaic law, was in place so that God could have a relationship with his people. You see, he had the laws of, of don't do this and do this so they, so they would not sin, but they'd still sin, and then he had the sacrificial system in place to atone for their sins. All that, again, so that he could be in a relationship with these people that he created. That was what the goal was. Sometimes we can think that God makes these rules just so, well, so he can control us. That God has this, this overwhelming need to, to dictate our lives. So he puts these rules over us just so he can be in charge. God created us for one reason. To have a relationship with I mean, think about that. The God of the universe. Say like, like, like Warren Buffett or, or Bill Gates or whoever you admire called you up and says, hey, I'd like to hire you. I'd, I'd like to pay you just because I want to have a relationship with you. Okay, at first it might creep you out a little, like, what's going on? But once you realized it was legit, that'd be amazing. I mean, Bill Gates wants to have a relationship with Tom Wigan enough that he hires me and actually pays me? Wow. What's the situation with God? He wants to have a relationship with us so much that he, he's willing to provide for us. Take care of us. The problem with this whole relationship thing is this thing called sin. See, humans decided to sin from the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And that sin is an obstacle between us and God. God can't be, is repelled by sin, and, and, and we can't help but sin. And the law is there to deal with that. The problem is God's people, they didn't want God. They just wanted what he'd provide. So say Bill Gates calls me up and says, hey, I want to hire you so I can have a relationship with you. And I said, okay, that sounds great for me. And I, and I take the job, but I really, 
don't want to know Bill Gates. I just want some of his money. He's got a lot. He wouldn't notice just a, I don't know, a billion or two that came my way. But I don't really want to know him. See, that's God's complaint against his people throughout the Old Testament. They don't want him. They want his things, but they don't want him. It's what he says to every prophet in the Old Testament. And we've heard it over and over in Isaiah. And when we did Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, we heard it over and over and over again. The result is that people just go through the motions. They generally keep part of the law, especially the ritual parts, the festivals, the days. Those are nice. But the relationship building parts, eh. See, they don't want God. They don't really even care that much about God. But they want to get what they can from Him, and they want to do it for the minimum amount of effort. And two through four, he, he, he warns them. He war- verbally warns them he's going to judge them. And how many times in the Bible, God, hundreds of years Page after page after page after page in the Bible. He's verbally warning. There's a day of judgment coming. I'm going to judge you. If if you don't want me, if you don't want a relationship with me, it's not going to go well. I mean, how many times has he said he's going to destroy Jerusalem or Judea in Isaiah alone? John even said this week, and we were talking, and he goes, are we destroying Jerusalem again today or this Sunday? I said, well, we're going to try to look at it slightly different than that. He verbally warms them over and over. And sometimes he does something even more compelling than verbally warn him. We warn them. And that's kind of what we got going on here. You see, the setting for, for well, Virtually all of Isaiah is found in 2 Kings. The setting for chapter 29 is really found in Isaiah, or 2 Kings 18. The setting is this. King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is literally at the gates of Jerusalem. A king prior to him had wiped out the northern kingdom. Okay, I mean, 722, gone, off the face of the earth. He wipes it out, conquers it, deports the people, brings in new people, and mix it all up, and that kingdom is never heard from again. That's what his predecessors did. Now, he's gone and taken everything in Judah. He's conquered every city, done everything, and he's at the gates of Jerusalem. Literally, it's under siege, just as we read. It's under siege, and we are told that this is God doing this through the Assyrians. City surrounded, no food coming in, typical siege. I wait until you about starve to death and then I'm going to take you over. Now, Hezekiah has done about, tried to do about everything he can, the king of Judah. He's, he's tried to bribe him. He's taken all the silver and gold that they got. They even scraped the gold off the magnificent doors of the temple and sent it all to him to the king of Assyria, and he's going, no, I don't think so. Then he pleads for mercy, 
And Cain goes, no, I don't, I don't know. He's tried Egypt. That didn't work. He's got nothing. Every human attempt he's made to try to deal with the Assyrian issue has failed. Then it comes to what I consider one of the most fascinating things in literally all of the Bible. Sennacherib has a guy, the king of Assyria, has a guy that speaks Hebrew, the language of the people in Jerusalem. And they've got the city surrounded, and his guy yells in to the people in Jerusalem. They had big voices back then, you know. And he yells in, and, and, and Hezekiah, the king of Judah, says, don't, don't yell at them in their own language, because they might understand. He goes, no, I'm gonna, I want them to hear this. And this is what the King Sennacherib's Naparib's, uh, guy says to the people in Jerusalem, speaking for the king. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah, their king, the king of Judah, deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hands of the king of Syria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. Come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, each one of you of his own fig tree. Each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hands of the king of Assyria? He goes on to say, How is your God any different than their God? I've conquered all these people and all their gods have failed to stop me. How is your God any different? Don't listen to your king don't think that God's going to deliver you. I am the only way. And I'll let you stay in your lands for a little while, and then I'm going to exile you into captivity. But it really probably won't be that bad. It's interesting. Isn't that what the world says to us every day? Every day. Don't listen to God. He either won't or, or can't help you. He really doesn't know what's best for you. Listen to us. Surrender to us. We have the answer. We have the way. Listen to us and everything will be okay. I don't care if you're listening to the media. I don't care if CNN, Fox, whatever it is, Oprah or Dr. Phil. I don't even know if they're still on the TV. Movies, secular books, your neighbor next door, maybe your relatives, maybe even a TV preacher. That's the world. Don't, don't listen to God. We have a better way. Oh, it's subtle. They don't even mention God's name. But, but if you listen to us, you know, if you're not happy, 
Yeah, leave your spouse. If you're, if you're not have buy this. Do that. If only. All your problems are because of those people, whoever those people are. If the party in power is the wrong party, if we only could be in power, whoever we are, that's the answer. That's the world. The world tells us, as we've said many times, how to think, how to dress, how to eat, how to act, what to buy, when to buy it. We're so influenced by the world, we don't even know it. And we're so little influenced by God. People come to me all the time. They say, what do you think I should do in this situation? I say, what do you think the Bible says? Oh, I don't really know the Bible that well. If you don't know the Bible that well, then you don't know God and you don't know about God very well. And we're not influenced by God. Sennacherib was the world saying, trust me, don't trust your God. But it's interesting, in 2 Kings, as, as Isaiah, I mean, is in 2 Kings. In fact, right after that speech I just, I just read, he says to Hezekiah, don't listen. Turn to God. Turn to God. No, sincerely, turn to God and earnestly pray for deliverance, and he will hear you. And that's what Hezekiah does. And what happens next is, well, truly amazing. Verse 5, back in chapter 29 of Isaiah. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in, the, in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her, shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. As when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating and awakes when his hunger is not satisfied. Or as a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. That's what happens. Hezekiah turns, earnestly prays and earnestly seeks God and wants God for who he is. And the Assyrian forces are destroyed. Not because they destroy In fact, they don't even do anything. The forces are destroyed and the king is sent back to Assyria and dies there. God delivers them. He sent the Assyrians to get their attention. He sent the Assyrians to to bring them to the brink of destruction so that they would hear, so they'd be open to listen. And when Hezekiah turns and seriously prays and wants a relationship with God in a new and more powerful way, he causes the Assyrians to go. Like waking from a dream. 
It can be like that with us. You know, we, we can be going through life just kind of taking a relationship with God through Jesus Christ not very seriously. Oh, we go to church in some form or another and we kind of do what we think we're supposed to do and we pray occasionally and we try to be a good person, whatever that means. Or it can be just the opposite where, where we're very religious. We never miss a Sunday and we, and we volunteer all the time and, and we always do what's right and never do what's wrong. But it's all about doing. It's not about a relationship with God. It's about, well, performing. And it's so easy to fall into those patterns. You know, the, the pattern of, well, doing what we're supposed to do or doing what we think is the minimum to get by, yet what's missing in both is a desire, truly a desire for God to know Him. Maybe church is just a, a tradition. Grew up going to church. I go to church. I have kids. I want my kids to be exposed to church, so I take them to church. And, and that's what it's about. And that was God's complaint in the entire Old Testament. You, you, you want these things, but you don't want me. You go through the motions, but you don't want a relationship with me. And it's what Jesus says and complains about the Jews in the New Testament. The question is, is that God's complaint about us today? Again, it is amazing that, 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 that God literally is visibly threatening Jerusalem with destruction in a true and physical way just to get their attention. I don't know about you, but that's, that happens with me occasionally. I mean, God allows or maybe even causes something negative to happen in my life just to get my attention. Just say, hey, Tom, you're not, you're not focused on me as much as you should. You need to start taking this relationship more seriously. He wants me to turn to him and, and wants to refine my walk with him. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe, maybe there's been a, a financial situation that hasn't gone well. Maybe you've gone through bankruptcy or maybe it's a relational thing and maybe you've even gone through a divorce or something or, or maybe it's a health issue gotten a diagnosis that's pretty tough. Now we can see these things as random events, outcome of living in a fallen world, and, and that may be all it is. But we, knew, know, we do know that God uses these things not to punish us, but to get our attention, kind of as a discipline to say, hey, take this relationship seriously. 
Don't just blow it off as something you do. Sunday morning isn't a day you go to church. Sunday morning is a continuation of the worship that you have every day with me coming out of a relationship we have. Does it to get us on the path to him through Jesus Christ. The path that leads to life and freedom and peace. The only way we can get And if we don't, yeah. Verse 9. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but, do not, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep, has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like words of a book that is sealed, When men gave it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. When they gave the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. If we don't desire a relationship with with God, he, he causes us to be spiritually blind. He puts us in a spiritual sleep. The words of this book are sealed to us. We can read it, but it doesn't make any sense. The truth that it has will not penetrate us. Because we're asleep and it's sealed from us. It's like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person, the unredeemed person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If we truly want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he will reveal himself to us. If we don't, he won't. It's that simple. It's interesting. The, the, the bear thing in the park, it's, it's very real. Yet you come across people all the time that, well, well, they'll pretend they're going to be in the shelter and then the last minute they'll go take their hammock and go in the woods and sleep by themselves. Or they say they're going to hang their backpack, but they really just take their food and hang that and not the backpack. Bears associate backpacks with food. They don't really believe. They kind of go through the motions, kind of do the minimum that they have decided is enough. And in the process, they endanger others. How do we approach God? Do we want, do we desire truly a relationship with the Father? Do we just go through the motions? Are we doing something that's tradition? Do we do something that's just something our spouse asks us to do, something we should do, we're doing it for whatever reason, but do we really want a relationship with God? See, he sent his son so that we could. He sent his son to the cross so that we can have a relationship with him because he loves us so much he wants that relationship. The question is, do we? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we acknowledge
that you tell us over and over and over that you want a relationship with us. And you tell us there are consequences of not having that relationship. And you tell us over and over just going through the motions is not what you're talking about. That going to church and just, I don't know. That you desire to know us and for us to know you. And in that relationship comes peace, comes salvation, comes a blessing beyond anything we can imagine. Help us understand that. In Jesus' name.